0: What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So over the summer, we're continuing through the book of Romans. So as you come in, you're more than welcome to grab a pew Bible as you walk in. We're on page 138 of the blue pew Bibles. Uh, Last week, I was taking my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter to the library. And um, as we were walking there, uh, I was reminded of a joke that kind of has a little bit to do with what we're reading here in the book of Romans. And um, in it, this man who's suffering from paranoia uh, walks into the librarian and says, um, where are your books on uh, paranoia? To which the librarian whispers, they're right behind you. (laughs) How many of you think that God is for you? How many of you think that God actually is eh, kind of for me, but not really? He's, he's for me in kind of like the way that C.S. Lewis talks about God, not the father, but God, the grandfather, like, oh, good, a good time was had by all. Just as long as you leave me alone, I leave you alone. Just leave, yeah, that I'm for you in that way, right? No, God is for you. I mean, did you catch the passage that we read in the Old Testament about Rachel and Leah and Laban and Jacob? Jacob's name means trickster, Right? But he finds a boss who's even more of a trickster than Jacob. And Laban's like, hey, you work for me and uh, you, you can have Rachel. And so he works and what does he get? He swindles him and he gets Laban instead. Like, your boss is out to get you. That's how, you know, that's how Jacob feels about Laban. And maybe that's how you feel like God is out to get you. He's, he's got like all these angels in heaven staring down. And they've got their little recording like, okay, what's, how's Peter screwed up today? What's he, oh, what did he do wrong? Or maybe that's how you feel. Um, But that's not how God is predisposed. There's this beautiful um, Anglican saint, he he passed away uh, a few years ago by the name of John Stott. And he said, God doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God loves us. Okay, God is for you. That's what it's saying. God is for you, and and I I love it. I I have a a friend who studied um, both uh, French and Italian for his undergrad. Then he went on to law school, and he's working down in London. And um, he he was working this very big case between an owner of one of the Premier League football teams, and um, and he also wanted to buy a hotel down in the Caribbean. And it was this big lawsuit between him and his other business partner. And so they would always be filing briefs against one another. And he was on the, on the team of, the, of the, the football team owner. And he told me, he said, as a lawyer, you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And here's what are two passages that we look at, both in Romans and also in Matthew, ask us. One, do you know that God is for you? And then the second question is, are you for him? That's what Matthew 13 is asking you. God is for us. In this passage alone, you have the, the word for us repeated numerous times. There's at least four ways in this passage in which Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you in His substitution." Verse 31. God, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now in the New Testament, there's 40 times where the word for us is used about God's predisposition towards you because of Christ Jesus. right? Romans 5:8, we read this a few weeks ago. "While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God offers himself as a substitution for us. That's the first of the four that we're looking at. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for us. 1 John 4.10, Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. Luke 22.20, we're going to hear those words very soon at this table. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood, which is given for you. For, it's a preposition of substitution on your behalf. Romans 14, 15, Jesus died for us. Guess what? I could do all 40, I'm not going to, but I'm going to keep going just so you get the point. Christ became a curse for us, Galatians 3:13, Jesus gave himself as a ransom for us, 1 Timothy 2:6, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, Ephesians 5, 2. By the grace of God, Jesus tasted death for us, right? You get it? Why don't you turn to the person to the left and right of you? Because, you know, we're we're Episcopalians, we're Anglicans, right? We do some liturgy. Now, turn to the person and say, for us and for our salvation. And, you know, and some of you guys are like, we're not doing that. I'm an Episcopalian from improper. Guess what? I tricked you because you're going to do it in a few minutes later on the Nicene Creed anyway. (laughs) So even if you didn't like saying it, then you're going to say it in the Nicene Creed. So, anyway, for us. God is for us. He's for us in his substitution. God n- made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So God is for us in his substitution. The second way in which God is for us is that he's for us in his provision. Now, a few weeks ago, we we read about God being Jehovah Jireh, the story of Isaac being offered, and then God taking the place of Isaac in the form of a ram. And Deacon John had preached on that. Um, and then we also, it was at the same time we looked at Romans 6 and this idea of how we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God because he's already offered himself as a sacrifice. Verse 32, if you think I'm just making it up, right? How will he not graciously give us all things? Verse 32. So we did th- verse 31, he's for us. He will give us, for us, all things. And how do we know that he's going to give us all things? Well, because what did he give for us? He gave the best thing he had to offer, his son. You and I are invited to the world's most expensive meal because it costs God everything, and it cost you nothing. Provision, that's how much he's provided for you. And And as I was doing a word study of the word in Greek when it says, Will he not graciously give us all things? Do you know what the word all in Greek means? All. (laughs) Trick question. And and Look, you can read that passage wrong and be like, yo, God's going to give me uh, Maserati. No, that's not what that passage means, okay? And even if you did want to build it off that verse, it's actually in the future tense, he will give us in the future. You know, this passage that we read from Romans, I, I get the privilege of of reading when I'm called to do prayers at time of death for people, and and I read, "What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Shall nakedness, famine, persecution, the, the present, the future, the rulers, principalities? What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And the answer is nothing. It's a I love reading that, but. Another thing that we read during that funeral, right, and we, for example, last week just laid to rest the the ashes of our brother Jim Collins in, in our memorial garden. In our Book of Common Prayer, since 1549, it says, we quote Jesus in the Gospels where he says in John, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place for you. He's providing a place for you. How will he not give us everything? That's what he's that's what he's saying. He's he's provided a rich inheritance. And guess what, you know, someone asked me, like, do you believe in six days or six billion years for creation? All I can tell you that God's been working on preparing heaven for us for quite a long time. And if you've tried to prepare a birthday, you know, like my, my youngest three and a half-year-old daughter's like, Dad, I want a mini birthday. It's not till December. Like, I want mini and I want a pinata, and she's Three and a half years she's already preparing her birthday. I mean, maybe some of y'all don't do that anymore. You're very prim and proper. But I'm sure that some of y'all still like are already planning what you're going to get for Christmas or how you're going to do birthdays. Jesus has been preparing a place for you, a provision for you. How, if he did not spare his only son, did not withhold his son, but gave him for us, how much more will he not graciously give us all things? You see, God's not out to get you. He's out to bless you. But the third way in which Jesus is for us is verse 27, right? Jesus is interceding for us. It's in verse 27 where the Spirit intercedes for us, and then we find it later on in verse 35. It says that he, who is it the condemns, It's Jesus Christ who died, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Now, there's other traditions out there that, you know, we, we offer prayer ministry where you come and another saint and this, well, saint, we're simultaneously saints and sinners, right? You come forward and one of us will pray for you, right? And I like that. I like the fact that we can do that, right? Um, there's other traditions say not only will we have living saints pray for you, we'll have some dead ones too. That's, I, I understand why they do that, but that's not my cup of tea necessarily. But have, have you ever played Six Degrees to Kevin Bacon? No, you've never played that. See, Kim knows what I'm talking about. Six degrees to Kevin Bacon. In that, I give you the name of some actor or actress. And then you have to get within six degrees back to Kevin Bacon. Mathematically, it's possible. It's very possible. The, the statistics are that within six degrees, you can get to any other person on this planet. So say, for example, let's say you want to get a message to President Biden. Well, guess what? You were at least... I know, from my part, from my story, you're four degrees away from President Biden. So you see, I know a Rhodes Scholar, who knows another Rhodes Scholar who was with him in 1998, who is the National Security Advisor to the President, and then he'll tell the President. So you tell me, I tell this Rhodes Scholar, this Rhodes Scholar tells the other Rhodes Scholar, and there you go. President Biden's been connected to. You've you've interceded and you've gotten your petition handed all the way up the chain of command. Okay, that's that's cool. You got your message where it needed to be. But why? Cut the middleman out. It, it says that in the book of Hebrews, we have a high priest who intercedes for us, so go straight to him. That's what he's telling you. And, and look, it's, it's just such a beautiful story to think of that, that Jesus is praying for you. One of the least thought of parts of our liturgical calendar, right, or even Christian doctrine, is the ascension, right? So you have Easter, 40 days, Pentecost, And then 10 days later, we do ascension, right? And they're like, okay, good, we're back. We're wearing, from red, we're wearing green now. Cool. What's the purpose of the ascension? Because now there's someone at the right hand of the Father praying for you. You see, I I got a buddy who's over in England, and sometimes when I'm having, you know, like sleepless nights or anxiety or whatnot, he'll text me like, hey, buddy, I'm praying for you. And I may still be asleep, there's that six-hour difference and then he texts me. It was like um, this morning at the 8.30 service, uh, Chip Witt was talking to me. He's like, you know, I was last week I was, it was like 3, 4 in the morning. I get this text from someone. I'm like, oh, here's this great idea I have. And then I realized, Steve Lane, why are you texting me? It's like too early in the morning. Well, it wasn't too early in the morning over in Iceland. <laughs> Before I get up, it's cool to know that someone in England is praying for me, Right? But it isn't, isn't it even cooler that before you got up this morning, Jesus was praying for you? Jesus is praying for you right now. The, the Scottish saint, um, Robert Murray McShane, puts it this way. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? If Jesus is praying for you, why are you so stressed? Why are you so worried? I mean, think about that, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We say, we, didn't we just sing that song, right? So what's that all about? How do you deal with, paranoia is just a very extreme form of anxiety. How does Jesus tell you? He says, look, why are you so worried about tomorrow? Have you looked at the birds of the field? They don't go shopping in Publix. And yet God feeds them. They don't go grocery shopping and God feeds them, okay? Look at the flowers of the field, right? They don't go to H&M and try to find the best outfit. But if God clothes the flowers of the field and feeds the birds, how much more will he take care of you? God is for you. He's providing for you. He is praying for you. This brings me to my last of the four points for how God is for us in this passage that Paul is talking to us. God is for you in his affections. He's for you in his substitution. He's for you in his provision. He is for you in his intercession, but he's for you in his affections. Verse 39. For I'm convinced that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is crazy in love with you. God is in love with you. His affections are for you. For God so loved, not just loved, He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. He's predisposed to love you. In the words of St. Augustine, it says, he said, God loves what he has made. He doesn't necessarily love what we've made of what he's made. Like he's seen how we've wounded his love. We've marred his image in us. The way we treat one another, the way we treat the planet, the way we, we, we treat people that are made in his image. God loves us. He doesn't necessarily love what we've made of what he's made. But his affections are for you. They are this beautiful desire. And the deepest desire that every human being has is to be loved and to be loved in return. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that brings me to the second point. God is for us. Are we for him? What we just read, it says, what shall separate us? And he goes through this whole list. But did you notice what he left out of the list? He didn't leave. He left us, ourselves, out of the picture. The whosoever of John 3.16, right? Here's what he's saying. I love you. Why won't you receive my love? In Matthew 13, there's the pearl of great price, right? This pearl merchant is in search of the best pearl ever. Pearls in the first century were, were more valuable than gold. Um, and so the whole point is this, this, this merchant finds this amazing pearl and, and he won't stop until he can make that pearl his. He will sell everything, give everything up until that pearl becomes his there's a story of Count von Zinzendorf, Nicholas von Zinzendorf, who was the founder of the Moravian Church, uh, which is one of the the churches that's in full communion with us Episcopalians. Um, But Nicholas von Zinzendorf, when he was in his mid-twenties, was walking through a museum in Dusseldorf, and he saw this picture of Jesus. And underneath the picture, it said, All this have I done for thee. What hast thou done for me? And he was so struck by that question that he then went on to found Hernhut, the Moravian community. And they did 24-7 prayer for a hundred years in the same place. And not only that, they, they didn't just get a band of people to just pray and have their own little holy huddle. They sent missionaries everywhere throughout the world. There's a story of this one, uh, these two men that were discipled by Nicholas von Zinzendorf. One's name was David Nitschmann, who then became the first bishop of the Moravian Church here in the United States. But David Nitschmann sensed this need that if this is what Jesus did for me, how do I offer myself back to Jesus? And he and his buddy heard how in this island of St. Thomas and St. Croix, which was part of the Danish crown, and they were Danish missionaries, um, they weren't allowing Christian missionaries to go there to preach to the slaves. The, the, the owners did not want them being literate. The owners did not want them being educated. The owners didn't want them hearing the gospel. So David and his buddy said, if we have to sell ourselves into slavery to get to St. Croix, we'll do that. And so there on the pier at Copenhagen uh, in Denmark, as they get on the boat, there are congregations on the other side of the pier watching them depart for St. Croix and St. Thomas. And David Nichman says, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. That's been the rallying cry of Moravian missions ever since. They went to St. Croix and St. Thomas, and because of their missionary work, within those first few years, 13,000 slaves were baptized, educated, catechized, taught that Jesus loves them. This we know for the Bible tells them, so, David Nitzman then went on from there to move to a place called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. In fact, it wasn't called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania because he was one of the founders of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And he's still buried there because he understood that Jesus is the, the pearl of great price. And if Jesus died for me, then what is my response? That, that's, a, you know, a, 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 an older version of that. But I, I remember a story. This is about 90 years ago. He was uh, an Eton graduate. He went to Cambridge to the other place. Um, and then he was, um, he, was a, he was the head of the cricket team for England. So if anyone is following British sport, yes, cricket is happening now for those few that are Brits in the audience. Um, and so he came to living faith. And when C.T. Studd came to living faith, he said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And that's what Jesus asked us. He says, I'm for you. Will you be for me? Will you offer yourself to me? So perhaps today, as you're hearing this, you're like, I, I don't know this love that you're speaking about. Well, guess what? We'd be delighted to pray for you with you, and for you. So that's why we have a prayer ministry team that will be available to you, uh, after the post-communion where you can just come up, receive communion, and receive prayer before you head back to your seat. Or perhaps you do know that love, but you're like, I, I'd love to share that love better, and I, I'd love to be able to break the sound barrier. I'd love to be crazy generous, like Jesus was crazy generous with me. And that, those are just a few of the ways in which you can respond and be for God because he's already for you. So, Lord, we thank you that neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen.